Jonathan Jonah to Lawrence. Played through for Fuller. Fuller's beaten Larson here. And Ricardo Fuller has scored for Stoke. Ten minutes to go. And it could yet be a celebratory night in the Potteries. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Wizards of Drivel podcast. My name is David Cowlishaw and I'm joined by Ben Cartwright. Good afternoon. And Chris Brammer. Good afternoon, both of you. Well, how how typical it is for us to celebrate a landmark episode, the way we tend to celebrate most episodes, which is talking about another unfortunate result for the Potters. Uh, as you would no doubt all aware, it finished Stoke City 1, Liverpool 2 at the Bet365 Stadium. Just some three-word responses before we get into this game. Getting better slowly. Hughes out ASAP. Why, why, why? Poor game management. Tactically inept bore fest. Utterly cheesed off. Worst sub ever. Done with season. Viva Power Cube. Why even watch? Sick of Hughes. Hughes must go. It was Liverpool. Ben, what I've got written down here is a great first half undone by Hughes's mistakes. Would you go along with that? That just about sums up my feeling for the entirety of the game. I mean, we saw each other at half-time and I had a smile on my face at the half-time whistle of a Stoke game, which isn't a common occurrence this season. But yeah, I thought it was a really fantastic performance in the first half. We matched up with them. We were the better side. It, it, it was a Liverpool side that sort of I looked at it before the game and I thought, we can have these, we can actually win. Um, and we looked like we were going to win and we had a number of chances. We obviously started off really well with a disallowed goal, I think, in the third minute. Um, and then, yeah, got the goal before half-time, and I was feeling pretty confident because if we didn't get that goal, I would have thought, oh, Liverpool are definitely going to take it. Um, but, yeah, then the second half comes around. Coutinho and Firmino come on, and in two minutes of madness, it all changes, and I was sat there with a frown on my face, as per usual. <laughs> um, but, yeah, yeah, disappointing in the end, but I think the sort of well-rounded three-word response at the end there, it was Liverpool, sort of should be remembered, um, but it, it wasn't the Liverpool that sort of have ripped teams apart all season. Chris, uh, for many, the game hinged around uh, a substitution from Mark Hughes. Uh, what did you make of John Walters being withdrawn and being replaced by Glenn Whelan? On right, I mean, on the one hand, I completely, I, I can sort of understand why you would make such a move. I understand that it's a very, very negative move to do: pull a striker off, put a defensive midfielder on. I get it from a very, very basic footballing standpoint. I think the issue was John Walters was our clear, like John Walters was doing well in this game. He was a our outfield player who was able to he was he was doing things up front. Berahino to uh, he, 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 he wasn't he was wasn't he? he wasn't and it it became more and more apparent how isolated he was up front when we when we um, dropped John Walters. Um, it was just a really, really negative move, and for it, well, it, it almost it, it instantly came undone from that point. Um, I, I I completely understand why people were very, very angry with the move. Um, I think there's a little bit of hindsight maybe in that where I, I was I, confused by it at the time. I thought to bring John Walters off, and it was 72 minutes. If it was like five minutes to go, I could have perhaps mm. understood it a bit more. But John Walters was our outlet. Mm -hmm. We were going long quite a bit, and John Walters was the guy up front who can bring the ball down, who can uh, compete for aerial challenges, because I don't think Berahino 
that that's not Berahino's strength mm-hmm. at all. So to bring off our outlet and bring on a defensive midfielder, when I thought uh, Cameron was doing a decent job, uh, Adam less so, <laughs> but. Yeah, then we then we put ourselves in a position. Once Liverpool scored their two goals, we've got we've got one striker left. Yeah, we've got Charlie Adam in the attacking midfield position, and we just don't have any any outlet. That that was for me. That was I think the issue. Bringing Walters off, putting Whelan on, was saying right. We are shutting up shop now. We will hold on to this lead, and all the way through, you just knew. Oh, we are we're holding on by the the skin of our teeth here, and yeah, it pushed it over the edge a little bit. I don't think we were good before Whelan came on. I don't think it was a case of Whelan coming on completely like mm. changed everything. I don't think we came into the second half with the right mindset at all. I think we were always when they brought on Coutinho and Firmino, and two players who they just had this massive morale boosting factor to to Liverpool and it, like you said it was not a good Liverpool side like that team when it was announced you you did feel like we we can take these today um but yeah that those two coming on i think Liverpool grew into the game and that was Mark Hughes surrendering Mm. Uh, it felt to me like they came on and it sort of frightened me a bit thinking yeah. Coutinho and Firmino but I think it sort of frightened the team as well because there mm. was that sort of change of mindset and also another point I wonder what how it would have been different if Alan hadn't got injured because mm. him going off in the first half didn't have the impact straight away as we might have expected Adam coming on the bench obviously nowhere near as mobile as Joe Allen um, <laughs> but it certainly had an effect in the second half and if he was there in the middle then it could have been different who knows because yeah. Alan would have been that player who um, got on got on their passer for the second goal. I think it was Wijnaldum with the pass through. Mm-hmm. Had an absolutely acre. He had acres of space to pick out his pass, and and it was a really simple goal in the end for them. Yeah, I think just generally, it felt like the second half was a surrender. Mm. It was a complete capitulation. We just from, we, from us. we pissed that game up the wall, yeah. didn't we? Big yeah. style. It was just we we okay. Coutinho and Firmino looked dangerous when they came on. Absolutely, but it was just like. The the sub the substitution was a white flag almost, even if it might not have literally impacted the game. Although I th- do think Whelan had a part to play in there. Oh, oh equaliser. yeah, yeah, yeah. He did, he, he did. But what I'm, uh, it, I think it's easy to say that with hindsight. Um, I I I do understand the point of view that like Liverpool were getting back into the game. It's a very very. It's almost a throwback to Tony Pulis' time, isn't it? Mm. Like, well, let's defend here, we'll hold on to it. The only problem is we can't defend like we used to. <laughs> and so Liverpool were always going to get back in that game. That's how it felt anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ben, what did you make of the team selection? Uh, a rever- uh, we reverted sorry, back to 4-4-2, having experimented with three at the back at Burnley. Uh, Munieza was dropped. Uh, we saw Shakiri come back into the side. Juve was dropped. Uh, what did you... When you saw the eleven, did, were you positive? Did you think, okay, this this is a good good side he's picked here? I think yeah, I was positive. I think we've shown against Man City away how that four four two formation can really work against a team of sort of Man City and Liverpool sort of play in a similar way. I'd I'd argue so. The fact that we we sort of reverted back to that, I thought that was a good decision. In the end, I felt bad for Sobby because I think it's harsh to drop him. But then, if you're not going to get Sobby in, if you're going to get Sobby in, then you're not going to have Shakiri or Anatovic and. And Arnie didn't have a great day, but it'd be difficult to to argue for dropping Arnie for Sobby, I'd I'd say still. Um, And again, for Muniesa as well, I felt a bit bad for him. But I think 
it works well, the 4-4-2, because they had five in the midfield, but we were still dominating those areas. And I think it's because we almost play like a, a really compact 4-2-4 um, with sort of Walters and Berahino just acting like stopgaps, like filling in the space almost, um, leaving Cameron and Allen to, to really do what they want in defending. And I, I think it worked really well. And as I said, I think Allen going off was a, was a big factor that if it didn't happen, if that happened on a different day, then we could have, we would have had Allen in there and it could have gone differently. Um, but yeah, I, I I just think I don't know. This is probably where the conversation is going to go. The, the subs were the were the main the main dropping point for mm. for how we played. Yeah, uh, great to see Shakiri back though. I mean, we've we've talked so often about his mysterious kind of disappearances, his perennial injury woes. But you you for, sort of in that time, a lot of us kind of forgot how good he was, and <laughs> boy, did he show it. He was absolutely sensational. I, I can't get over how good Shakiri was. I mean, he was by far the best player yeah. on the pitch yesterday. And and I think you're right. It's that unpredictability. And yeah, you forget he's been away for ages and then he comes back and he's like, oh my God, look at him. He can turn everyone inside out and mm. he can beat a man with a silky touch. And yeah, it, that was that was a cause to smile. Yeah. And John, Johnson and Shakiri have definitely got that connection mm. there as well. Where Eric Peters and Arnautovic have definitely got that connection. I think Johnson and Shakiri are very good for that for our goal. That just that dink over the top yeah. for Shakiri in one touch. He's mm. he's got it on Walter's head. He he is still very frustrating, Shakiri, no question. But there there was one moment where he turned two Liverpool players <laughs> with one touch, which was mm, magnificent. Yes. And then you just want him to to cross it in. Then, but he sort of panics and yeah. stuff. He he does get. Uh, a lot of fans on his back at the Bet365. Sometimes for stuff he's not even uh, responsible for. There was a moment where Lee Grant booted a, a, a drop kick 20 yards behind him and there's people going, why aren't you running for that, Shakiri? It's like, well, because it's 20 yards behind him. He's going the opposite way. Like, the, the, We've spoken about this before. There are certain players who will get more stick than others, uh, certainly at the ground and certainly in the studio as well. But... Um, there are arguments to say we were kind of unfortunate in this game. Uh, I know there was a lot of anger towards Hughes at the game, but um, Saido should have equalised. Bloody hell! Yeah, yeah, just yeah, <laughs> yeah. You should. I watched. I watched the highlights back on Match of the Day to, um, this morning, and um, that save by Mignolet for the where, where he just slides, slides it, and tries to tap it in at back post. It is a it is a bloody phenomenal save, mm. but yeah, like it, it feels like Sido's not got the the most amount of confidence. Yeah, but he scored a hat trick, didn't he, in midweek in some training game or something? Oh, right. so, against some yeah. Canadian side. Yeah, yeah so I it, just think it's unfortunate because all you can do as a striker there yeah. for that fantastic bit of play from Arnautovic, mm. all you can do is chuck yourself at the ball, and he mm. did that, and it's gone on target. And, That's all you can ask for. And, really. and if perhaps it would be a completely different discussion had that gone in it finished 2-2 yeah yeah people would complain about the capitulation of the second half but you know we got we 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 finished on level terms and maybe that's a different story and people aren't as angry and frustrated as as mm. they are but unfortunately you can't <laughs> it, it it felt a bit typical to me almost <laughs> uh, not only was um Berahino, we just we've just wanted a chance like that for him and uh, it is great goalkeeping. I, I, I'm not sure. I think he might be. Berahino will definitely look back and think he could have done better yeah. with that. But uh, I thought it was typical that Arnie, who I thought was pretty poor yesterday, 
just brought out this moment of magic and put it on a plate for them. And you just, if you're Arnie, you're thinking, bloody hell, I've just, <laughs> I've just produced something and we can't stick it in the bloody net. Mm-hmm. I think he had a few chances. He had a couple of other chances as well, Berahino, in the first half. Yeah. Um, there, when the, the ball sort of fell to him, I think it was Arnautovic again, was it? Yeah, the, there, was a, there was a moment in the first half where he was a bit shot shy and, and didn't kind yeah. of swing at it at the right time. And there was also the moment in the second half where uh, it bounced off him and Adam had the shot, which, <laughs> again, that, that was a similar situation where it's good goalkeeping, but you think, oh, bloody hell, we, sh- we really should have took that one away. Um also, a reason to feel slightly agree from our perspective. Uh, Clavan should have been sent off. Mm. I I just don't get it. It was uh, Shakiri uh, beat him for pace in the second half. He, knock, he knocks him off the ball, got booked, and then moments later, exactly the same thing happened that he'd got booked for. And Mike Dean just Mike Dean of the Wirral, by the way, uh, <laughs> Mike Dean just didn't show a yellow card as well. And it's just it's. Had had he been sent off, you know, it's all ifs, buts, and maybes at the moment. So, um. I just I, I think that it would be an interesting one if if that happened to a soap player, we'd be very very annoyed if he got sent off for mm. something like that. I, it's all it's it's one of those you see quite often, and it's on the edge of should it be a red card or not. I'd say, and also I'd say Clavan was probably one of their worst players, so maybe it was sort of it gave us a few chances that he was still on the pitch. Mm. Well. Since we've been talking, we've made a lot of good points about us being slightly unlucky there, but I'm still bloody annoyed. I'm really annoyed with that substitution. I don't think that should go understated. I think that was a silly move. I called it from the moment it happened. It was a silly move. And uh, off the back of Leicester, where we were appalling, against Burnley, where we were appalling, to to have a reasonable chance of beating Liverpool and then to... Then to capitulate like that really sort of angers me, and um, <laughs> and uh, there's only one man who's responsible, really, yeah. isn't there? Um, so shall we move on? Uh, a lot of people in the Hughes in Hughes out debate often ask if Hughes were to go, who would we get in? And a lot of times that's been met with radio silence. People just like don't know. People people don't know who uh, potential Stoke managers could be were we to uh, get rid of Mark Hughes in the summer. So the three of us have gone away, done some research hopefully, and picked out some managers who maybe, if Hughes does go, could lead us to greater things. We'll start with you, Chris. Yes. Uh, what managers have you been looking at? Okay, so I've got three. Okay, give us your first one. So my first one, we're keeping it British. Okay, we. Yeah, yeah, because people like that, don't they? Um, And I've picked Eddie Howe. Okay. Um, And everyone knows Eddie Howe. Um, I think that he is a young, exciting manager. I think take away some of Bournemouth's um, defensive issues this year. I think that you can see that they try and play a good style of football. Um, they're, they're clearly restricted with the size of the club they are, um, even if they do spend a lot of money on, on transfers. Um, but no, I think that he is he's he's shown himself to be a decent manager. He's in with I mean he's been in with a shout for the Arsenal job for goodness knows how long. Um, whilst I don't know if he's ready for that bigger step up yet, I think a team of our size with a decent enough budget. It's a bigger a bigger club, no offence to Bournemouth. 
Um, and I think he he could do something really quite special. And he, he could almost... I'm, I'm picturing him uh, almost forming a legacy at Stoke. Wow. So, uh, so, uh, well, but wow. Well, what, what I'm, what I'm saying... Wow. What, what I'm meaning, <laughs> what I mean is, <laughs> if you look at some of our other managers who who will come on to, they're they're, they're managers who've already done some successful stuff. Eddie Howe is still in the beginning of his career. I think that he could really push himself further, push Stoke further. I'm not saying he would become the Alex Ferguson of Stoke, but hey, who knows? He might, and he might bring Mark Wilson back off loan and bring him <laughs> back to Stoke. Fingers crossed. Um, before we get on to to. Talking about how more specifically, there's a question about British managers in general and whether uh, Peter Coates would prefer a British appointment rather than a foreign one. And there are certain quotes from Peter Coates which say um, uh, he's really sad about the sort of decline of British managers in the league. He thinks there should be more. He's disappointed when certain clubs prioritise getting a foreign name in over a British name. Um but would he do that at Stoke is another question entirely because I think good British managers at the moment, British managers who would be a step up from Hughes are few and far between, mm-hmm. and I'm sure we'll come on to some other names in a minute. With regards to how, I'm not sure. Um, for a few reasons, I think whilst he's enjoyed a great deal of success at Bournemouth, I think uh, what doesn't go as mentioned as often by the press, talking up this sort of fairy tale about what Howe's done with Bournemouth, which, let, let's make no mistake, is a great job. He has had a lot of money at Bournemouth, and uh, in their rise uh, up the leagues to the Premier League was very well financed. And yes, he, he did well to keep them up last season with a squad that's not really blessed with a lot of star names. Um and when he's been away from Bournemouth, he had a, a brief stint at Burnley, which wasn't a success at, at all. Uh, so there's that. And there's also, I think Bournemouth are underreported for being gits. They're, <laughs> they're an absolutely foul team. They, they, I mean, any team that employs Jack Wilshire is is bound to be my bad books. But uh, I think their game at Stoke this season, they were wasting time. They were snide. They were rolling around on the floor. I just don't like them very much. Um, <laughs> and for that reason, we shouldn't employ them, because yes. David, David said so. For that reason, I'm out. <laughs> uh, but Ben, uh, do you, what do you think of how could, could he be a step up? To be honest with you, I've always thought as of how as a bit of a fraud he gets so much love <laughs> from so many people. Um, and I've sort of turning into football Twitter by calling everyone frauds. Um, but yeah, I, I, maybe, I think... He's got a lot to prove at the moment and is he necessarily going to take us a step further than what Mark Hughes is doing? He spent a lot of money in the summer. I think a few of those signings got injured straight away, which is a bit unlucky for him maybe. Um, but yeah, I just it doesn't excite me. It's Some of these managers that we're going to mention, it could be, I'd, be, I'd wake up the, the next morning and I'd be feeling great. Eddie Howe becomes our manager. I wouldn't be getting that feeling. So I think that's a, a tentative <laughs> thumbs down from us on Eddie Howe. So. Fair enough. Uh, ben, uh, what, what names have you been looking at? I'm going to continue with the the British team, actually. It's a name that wasn't written down that I changed my mind late on. Um, and it's a bit of an out there suggestion, so I'm not sure how you're going to take it. 
Um, he's Welsh, which is sort of similar to the vibes that we've had over the last couple of years. Okay. Um, he's got a certain smugness about him, also similar right. to the theme. And apparently, he's he's very sort of he picks his favourites and he sticks to them regardless of how good they are. Okay. Um, my person is Mark Sampson, England women's manager. Um, I, I was persuaded to do it by Chris earlier this morning, <laughs> <laughs> and he's had a successful career to date. He's managed um, England, obviously he managed Bristol Ladies, and before that, his last job um, in men's management was for Taft's Well. In in Wales, <laughs> a team that has got 51 words on their Wikipedia page. So I, don't, <laughs> I think you can tell how big a club they are. Um, yeah, so he, he's done what a lot of England managers haven't done, obviously, in recent years. And he's been a success as England manager, continues to be a success. Um, the other important factor that I'm going to bring up... I can't believe we're talking for this long about Mark <laughs> <laughs> Let him convince you, Dave. Let yeah, him come on. You. Come Give on. me a chance. The other thing is the Stoke fandom, we're very split at the moment. There's not a lot of connections. Everyone's sort of getting at each other. Mark Sampson, what he did, he brought a nation together. <laughs> <laughs> he brought the nation together to support the women's side, He's which has never happened true. before. Mm. And if Stoke needs something now, it's to be brought together. And it maybe even sort of maybe the nation needs to love a bit of Stoke as well. And maybe Mark Sampson can do that for us so yeah it's a massive gamble because he's literally got no experience in the men's game whatsoever what Taft's well I think that's right okay if anyone knows anything about Taft's well he did very well there I believe (laughs) Um, (laughs) not that I've got any stats to back that up yeah Um, (laughs) I very much enjoyed uh, England's run to the uh, semi-finals of the World Cup I thought he's definitely done a, a good job um, Can I just say, my, my <laughs> British manager was going to be Brendan Rodgers until he signed a four-year contract with Celtic okay. the other day. Um, I think we should move swiftly on, to be honest. And I, I think it also shows the dearth of England managers, so basically I'm yeah. backing up yeah. your earlier point. Okay. Well, speaking of dearth of England managers, I've been looking at Sean Dyche. <laughs> Woo! Uh, yeah, not a name that would get many people too excited, really. But nonetheless, uh, a good job at Watford... Uh, and doing a very good job at Burnley. Um, obviously, his spell at uh, Watford was a, a short period in charge, but he finished in 11th in the Championship, the club's best finish for four years, but left due to the change in ownership uh, there. And, uh, yeah, obviously his exploits at Burnley are well documented. I think a lot of people had tipped them to go down this season, and I think they're above us at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. Which yeah. Uh, t- tells you a lot. Um You'd obviously have to get used to the way he speaks, of course. (laughs) There's that. Uh, But is Sean Dyche a bit too drab for Stoke? Is he a bit too underwhelming? I I don't mind Sean Dyche too much. I think he sort of... He'd bring back that identity to Stoke. Like, we all loved it under Pulis. And and if he he became the manager, we'd get that identity back where we've been talking about it for so long. But is it it an identity we want back? That's the question. And... And Oh, are you saying that with a very, very rose-tinted view? Like, is that going to, is that style of football that Sean Dyche brings to us going to push us to a new level? Which is what we want. What we're wanting is a manager to come in and do better than Mark Hughes. So is yeah, he probably is he not? A, like for me, and and this is I, I like him. I like him as a manager, but I I don't know. Maybe it's that um, unfortunate reputation he has of being one of these British managers. He's direct. Maybe that's just how. Burnley have had to play, but it it's mm. that it's a reputation that 
I don't know. He certainly it's... got them very well drilled, and yes, we miss, oh, we miss being well drilled at the back. Certainly, mm-hmm. it's just um, are Jordan Shakiri and Marko Anatovic gonna thrive in mm. a Sean Dyche setup? Probably not. No. <laughs> no. Uh, shakes of the head all round. <laughs> the thing is, he would bring us solidarity, yes. right? And I, I can't see with our with the quality that we do possess and the quality that would sort of. There is quality in our squad that would suit Sean Dyche. I'm, I'm, I would imagine Joe Allen would thrive under mm-hmm. under Sean. Um, but yeah, if, we, if we're wanting to see the likes of Marco Anatovic and Shakiri and Bojan and other players like it continue at our club, I don't think that's the man for right. us. So we've had three British managers <laughs> suggested there and all have been kind of... Uh, we've turned our nose think, up at them, really, I think, haven't we? Can we all agree that if Brendan Rodgers hadn't have signed a four-year deal, we probably would have all been quite in favour of Brendan Rodgers? Yes, I think so. The yeah. thing is that there are a couple. I think the the championship are doing a, a better mm. job at sort of sort of yeah. harvesting managers than the Premier League is doing. So like yeah. the likes of Gary Monk, I wouldn't mind. I think he's very sort of mm. he's very thoughtful and he absolutely dedicated to his job. Um, but they're just not available. Yeah. And the and the the British managers that aren't available, the likes of Alan Pardew, I just didn't even want to mention in the podcast. <laughs> and now I've done, so. uh, Chris, yes, give us a name. Second manager on my list. Um, so, one of the things that I, I think we can all agree has been a positive of the Mark Hughes era has for some time we played some nice football mm-hmm. and Mark Hughes was able to attract a certain star power. He had he had pulling power, didn't yes. he? People remembered him from his Barcelona days and that was like, oh, oh yeah, I've heard of that player. My second name is someone very familiar to the Premier League from a few years ago, Michael Laudrup. Ooh. Now, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I think that Michael Laudrup's Swansea side of a few years ago were by far one of the most like, attractive football teams to watch. They were yeah. they were fun to watch and whilst we hated the fact that, you know, the BBC and everyone were they they were everyone's second team, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. We hated it. There was a reason for that. And Michael Laudrup has always played a very, very similar style um when he was at um where was he before? Uh, was he at Malaga? Oh gosh, I've I've not done the research in this bit, but his <laughs> his teams have always played a a, a certain style. Um, it's always been that attacking football, possession based, four two three one with a lovely pivot in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, that pivot being uh, Sigurdsson, I believe. Yeah. He had did it was it Laudrup who bought Michu or was that the year yes. before? I don't I think know. So. I believe so. Yeah. He, you know, he relies on that type of. Um, Attacking midfielder pivot, Bojan. Mm. We are calling you back. Um, but no, I think that his his, his football that he, he that he brings to a team is very very good. Ignoring the fact that Swansea towards the end things went a bit wrong. Mm. I believe there was a lot of Michael Laudrup maybe thought that he was a little bit bigger than the club. Yeah, which. I don't know. He's he did play like 150 odd times for Barcelona. To be honest, I don't mind. I wouldn't mind a manager who thought he was bigger than no. us. You know, because then they've got something to but, prove, haven't they? Well, exactly. And I think the main thing is at, at the moment he's coaching a team in, I believe, the like the Qatari league. You're right. But he won a trophy at Swansea. He yeah. won a trophy as that mid-table team. Um, granted, yeah, they beat Bradford in the final, but they had to overcome Chelsea didn't yeah. they, in the semis. He he, when when we got Mark Hughes, a lot of fans kind of looked at Swansea and Southampton and thought mm, they're the type of team that we should emulate. Mm. And I can't think of a better player 
as Michael Laudrup, like in terms of his experience at the high level, the type of players he could maybe bring in, mm. which his name would attract, and the style of football, apart from maybe my third choice, which we'll go okay. on in a minute, because that's the one I'm really okay. excited about. But in terms of maybe a realistic option, I think Michael Laudrup, he's might welcome a return to the Premier League. Mm. He's got that star name, plays nice stuff. Yeah, Michael Laudrup's uh, getting rave reviews from Chris. How, how would you feel about Laudrup? I would tend to agree that at, the, at that point in time, when he, when sort of it went wrong with Swansea, I was like, what on earth are they doing? Like, he's done such a great job for them. And I was like, that's the sort of manager that we could look for. I literally thought that at the time. It's a long time ago now. But that's the thing. It, is, it was a long time ago now, and he's managing mm. in Qatar. And, yeah. and what has he done since Swansea? I don't even know, really. I'm, I've got his Wikipedia page up, and it, it's another club... That I've never heard Lekwalia and Al Rayan in mm. Qatar. So it seems why is like that? he's he's uh, enjoying himself in Qatar a bit too much. Perhaps <laughs> going back to uh, coming back to Britain would uh, perhaps not suit his lifestyle. But uh, you never know the law of the Premier League and all that. Are we saying a maybe for Loudrup then? Is that a, I'd say is a that maybe. a strong maybe? I'd say maybe. Okay, let's yeah. let's take that off on the okay. list, um, Ben. Right. We're going from Qatar on our holidays to China um, to possibly the, the best-looking young manager in world football. Um, it Sven, is, Sven. It is, of course, <laughs> not Sven. Andre Villas-Boas, what a man. <laughs> what is that going to happen? Is well, that a, was that a because you don't think he's the most attractive man in the world? No, no. <laughs> it, it was a just thinking about okay, Andre Villas-Boas okay. crouching oh, yeah. on the touchline at the Bet365. I can see it. I can oh, see that, it. Oh, man. He kind of looks like Joe Barbieri as well. <laughs> Joe, Joe, that's the nicest thing <laughs> we've ever said about you on this podcast. <laughs> First Premier League match. Does anyone know what it was? It was, was it against us? It was against was us. Was it a nil-nil draw? It was a nil-nil draw. Well yes. done. And after the game, he complimented our strong defence. So, Jonathan Woodgate played centre-back that game. Wow. There's wow. your stat. There we go. Wow. Jonathan Woodgate is good in good in defence for Stoke. Shock. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's complimented us already. He loves it at Stoke, mm. I think, from that. Um, <laughs> He's obviously suffered in his time at Chelsea in the end. I think a lot of it was to do with sort of, he didn't really know what to do with John Terry and Frank Lampard, yeah, but that, the old guard yeah. sort of, they wanted drop in, but he didn't really have the sort of... Yeah. Chelsea's such a, a managerial graveyard anyway. Uh, and he's, I don't think he had the the reputation or the sort of personality to really take over that club and like make a tough decision on mm, John Terry and exactly. Lampard like there, there was very much a player power there that yeah. only Mourinho hiding to an extent and Conte now have really sort of imposed their authority <laughs> well, apparently, apparently Di Matteo as well when they went on to win the well, yeah. Champions League that, that season odd, that was weird wasn't it um, <laughs> obviously took the, took Spurs into the Europa League as well was, was yeah. pretty exciting there they've, they've played some nice football for a long time and he was part of that he took them to their highest ever points total which was 72 points. Vyash Boas, uh, for me, is one of those managers who gets hounded by uh, the sort of tabloid press because he's he's foreign, He's he, he tries to play too fancy down what? football. He's, he's, he's the archetypal manager, you think, but could he do it on a wet night in Stoke? You know, he's... Uh, He's like Guardiola now. It, like, there's such a perception of managers. I think we don't like managers who think too much in this country. Mm-hmm. We don't like tactics nerds. He, you know, I, and and AVB is the most 
the, like the biggest tactic. Yeah, he, he he's the hipster's dream, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So let's make let's make Stoke <laughs> hipster again. The, the thing the thing with AVB is that I think the reason a lot of people target him, and I think one of the reasons that Chelsea players turned on him a little bit was that obviously, yeah, like what, what's what's your background, mate? He, he'd come from. Porto, I want to say, yes, Porto, so. where he'd won the the league and he'd won the. U- yeah, I think he was a bit of a student of Mourinho. He, well, that was it because yeah. AVB having having read AVB's biography, which I recommend, it's <laughs> nice. pro- it's meant. Oh, I might. Do, I honestly on, might honest, do that because uh, do you do you know his background? AVB has never played football. He's not a football player. Wow. He 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 never came from. Like he was, ne- he hadn't retired early or anything. He... I, th- I think that's also a reason why uh, tabloid hate him. This is yeah, why they hate him because he he came from it from a he really liked watching players and scouting them and all that type of jazz. Yeah. So he 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 basically I, I don't know if he did Bobby Robson have a time in Portugal? Was it Bobby Robson? No, I don't know. One uh, whoever it was, he would uh, he lived in the same building as one of the managers. Of Porto definitely weren't Bobby Robson. I think Bobby Robson did, was at Porto. You might need to check that. One. Anyway, the story goes: AVB, as a young lad, would slip scouting reports under the door, <laughs> like, and he's just a, he's basically like a sixteen-year-old kid at this point. You're right about Bobby Robson. As, oh, yeah. I thought they, they called him. Uh, sorry, this is just a massive tangent. Uh, Bobby Robson's nickname in uh, Porto was Bobby Fivo because they won so many games five <laughs> 0 I like that. I like that, but you but you're right about AVB. He became Jose Mourinho's like chief scout. Yeah, that was, you can you can see the interviews from when uh, Jose was at Chelsea the first time. There's a very very young looking AVB who's stood in the background like as the coaching staff. That's it. He was he was the apprentice. See, uh, look, look, think, yeah. look at the passion we've got. <laughs> I know, I know. I just don't think he's gonna no. come. Look, no. come on, you've got to believe. Who would have said that Shakiri would have come to Stoke? Oh. Come on, lads. I think I, like, I would. I would love it. I would genuinely love AVB to be Stoke. That's manager. what I'm saying. With but how I think it wouldn't get you excited, but with AVB. But I think the issue. But he's not gonna come. Yeah. He might. He's in. Chi- he's in China. Oh, but he's he... raking it in. He's raking it in by there's, the bucket load. There's the the thing. The thing about AVB, unfortunately, is that I think that he would be more inclined to go to a club that is on that ring above mm. Stoke, a Champions League club. He well, that was it. He was at Spurs, who are a bigger club than us. He then went to Zenit, Saint Petersburg, who Champions League well financed. He was gonna have. Look how much I unfortunately know about mm-hmm. AVB. I know it. He was going to have time off football until this job in China came, yeah. and he was excited by the opportunity more than the than the cash. Yeah. Um, so is that? I don't know. Are we AVB's level? Is more my question. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the I've thing. got. Well, I can put you off AVB a bit then, no, just no, to no, sort no, of put you off. That summer when he bought Capoue, Paulinho, Soldado, Chadley, Chiriches, Lamella, oh, yeah, he, and Ericsson. He re- reinvested the. Oh, Ericsson. So that's but, the one sort but, of funny man. Um, the, the thing about that transfer. No, Chris, I'm trying to put you no, off. No, no, because the thing about that transfer window is a lot of those signings made sense at the time. Like Soldado yeah. had, had been good. Oh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Like, yeah, my dad went to the what is it the thing before the World Cup, the tournament for Confederations. Yeah, my dad went to that in Brazil and he saw Polinho. But I think this mm. was before he signed for Spurs. He was like, Polinho is going to be the best player in the Premier League next yeah. season. Yeah, and he wasn't at no. all. Right. So yeah, shall we move on from AVB then? As much as it pains <laughs> us, um... I think we're going to start a sort of a, a sister podcast on <laughs> Clearly. AVB. Clearly. Uh, so uh, what, what are we saying for I, I think that's a strong yes, All but right. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Okay, that's enough. not the criteria. Well, I think it should be. Um, <laughs> 
let's let's move on to a, another fashionable coach, certainly at the moment, uh, albeit a much more realistic one. Marco Silva, currently of Hull City, currently performing miracles at Hull City. He's uh, he's famously was um, mocked by Paul Merson and Phil Thompson. What does he know about the league? I've I've never heard of him. Why have they got rid of uh, what was his name that got sacked? The feeling, Mike Feeling. Yeah. Well, was was that... I could win the league with Olympiacos. Was was this Says the same failed same... Warsaw manager Paul Merson? <laughs> was this the same interview where like Paul Merson had said we should have British managers like who understand yeah. the league like yeah. Thierry Henry? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, it, if you're like Paul um, and you didn't know too much about his career before Hull. Um, he started out his career at Portuguese, Portuguese club Estoril and uh, f- and got them back to the top flight in Portugal uh, for the first time in seven years as champions, was the league's manager of the year. And then from there, he helped them achieve fifth place in the top division, reaching the Europa League. He uh, gave them their first ever home win uh, against Benfica. Um and then moved on to Sporting Lisbon, where he uh, led them to the third place in the championship and won them the. Uh, uh, there's a there's a name of a trophy there that I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. Um, <laughs> but on June the 14th, 2015, four days after winning the trophy, Sporting announced that Silva had been sacked with just cause for not wearing the club's official suit yes. in a cup match against FC Vizela. Yes. So, uh, Do you remember that one? Were you there? No, but <laughs> I, I remember... Have you read the biography of Marco Silva? <laughs> I remember this story. It's because he 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 wore, like, sporting a green, aren't they? Yeah. And he wore a blue thing, which is Porto. And they... Yeah, I remember it was... It was took very... Well, obviously, took very serious. Just get a life, Porto. <laughs> um, yeah, from there, went to Olympiacos. Um, obviously, won the league there. Silver guided the team to break the record of 11 consecutive league wins from the first match day and beat Arsenal in the Champions League at the Emirates. <laughs> Come on. We've never beaten Arsenal at the Emirates. This guy can do it. That's a good point. And also, line. yeah, what he's doing at Hull, people just thought Hull were absolutely dead and buried and now they're outside the relegation mm-hmm. zone. And uh, yeah, he's, he's certainly a very exciting prospect. Uh, were Hull to stay up, would we... Would we be uh, sufficient? Uh, would we be able to lure him away? I would think so. Yeah. I, I think we're sort of much more stable. Even mm. even if Hull stay up this season, there's no guarantee what happens next year. They don't have any money at all, if I'm not mistaken. So, mm. are they going to be able to improve themselves? I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. Maybe the perfect way to sort of start our our luring of uh, Marcus Silva is to beat them next week. Yeah. Mm. And then and then relegate them. So how how are we feeling about Silva? Because yes, he's he's done good jobs in Portugal and at the bottom of the table with Hull. Uh but w- would he be a bit of a gamble for a, a club I, cover of our size? I think I think he would probably be a gamble based purely on the fact that I it's a limited CV. He only yes. started managing in 2011. Yeah. It's much more of a gamble than the likes of Mark Hughes was. Yeah. And obviously mm. Tony Pierce, obviously. They, yeah. Like they, if we were to go back in, in that sort a, of direction. There was a piece in The Guardian the other day talking about uh, British managers and Premier League experience. And it sort of looked at managerial appointments over the past few seasons. And it's sort of deduced that uh, experience in the Premier League is overrated, mm-hmm. as is. Uh, being British, mm-hmm. and it was quite well argued that so many managers have come 
from having no Premier League experience, like Silva, like Pochettino, like Puel, and done really good jobs. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, if if we got Silva, I'd certainly be optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, he he'd need a few seasons, I think. Yeah. To sort of bed in maybe, uh, but. It'd be intriguing, I think. Yeah, it'd, it'd be a fascinating it, project to be sort of part of. If yeah, he and, he, state manager. and I suppose he'd be another one of those managers who'd almost be looking to found his own mm. legacy at at the club. Like he would want to progress along mm. with us. That's and he, he's clearly very adept in the transfer market mm. as well. I mean, they sold Robert Snodgrass in January, and everyone's like, "What the hell are you doing?" Yeah. And he used that money to finance players who we hadn't really heard of, mm-hmm. but have mm-hmm. got them playing good stuff. So. I'm a a cautious yes for me. Yeah, I think a cautious yes is probably the best best way to describe it because, yeah, he... It would be one of those signings where I think the initial reaction would be, oh, okay, okay, but I do think you could see it working out. Mm, I'm going to say yes. Okay, Chris, can we have your final... Okay. Yes, all right. (laughs) So so this is the one that I've got the most written down about. Um... Taking on the Michael Loudrup um, criteria of someone who can maybe attract some good names, play a good attack, um, a good style of football, uh, and has a nice proven record. I looked back in my hipsters' uh, view of European football, and I've gone for Lucien Favre, Ooh. current manager of Nice in League One, but famously. Uh, made his name in the Bundesliga, most notably at Borussia Mönchengladbach, that German team, as they put on when they played Celtic. Um, now, to, get, to give you a bit of background for him, he's a Swiss manager. He took on a few teams before uh, being the coach of FC Zurich, where he won the league. Um, and as I was saying, I think I was saying to you, Ben, out before we came in the studio, the average age of his champion ship winning team was 21 and a half <laughs> um, he then in... oh, have we got anyone we've got <laughs> Ramadan Ramadan's got a game I, I know that's about it yes but he then he, he might deploy and go I can't believe that's not what you thought straight away. That's just, I was thinking of a, a, a team of eleven in goals. <laughs> uh, he 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 then moved to the uh, Bundesliga in two thousand and eight nine. So our first season mm-hmm. in the Premier League, uh, and he took over at Hertha Berlin. And at this time, they are to, to some extent they still are. They're not a club that is very very financially rich, despite mm-hmm. them being the the team of the capital or yeah. one of them. They at that time in the season or that time in the in history, mm-hmm. they had the thirteenth biggest budget in the league. So you know they in an eighteen team yeah. league. Play. Anyway, that season he finished fourth with wow. them. And uh, they played some some really, really nice attacking football. Uh, they got the better of Bayern, who went on to be champions that year. Um, it, it, to be fair, it ended relatively poorly at Hertha Berlin. The financial constraints meant that they sold a lot of key players. And after a poor start to a season, he um, lost his job. He next would find himself at Gladbach, um, who were in a relegation fight. He would save them from relegation, take them into the Champions League places, finishing fourth, then eighth, then third, respectively. Now, for Gladbach at the time, whilst we've seen them in the Champions League, they are one of those teams that, like maybe your Everton's or of this of our league, 
They yeah. they yo-yo between European places. Um, <laughs> he resigned in 2015-16 after losing the first five league games of the season, basically saying, nope, I'm, I can't do any more with this club. He's... As I will explain, he's a very, very eccentric man. Right. But he's gone on to Nice now. And if you've followed any of the French football, Nice are having a very, very good season with the likes of... Um, Balotelli. Ba- oh, Balotelli's there. They've got a few players there who... They bought Dante from Bayern, okay. Munich. Some players who you wouldn't expect to be getting too much out of, but he's doing he's doing really well. The thing that I... So you're saying he, he can coax the best out of... Perhaps inconsistent, yes. perhaps volatile players. Well, let me let me read you his wiki entry. Go. What I'd like you to do, and this to anyone listening at home, shut your eyes now. I'm going to read a brief description of his managerial style. Right. And I want you to imagine Stoke City described <laughs> as this. <laughs> okay. Favre's team play a dynamic, quick, attack-minded football where ball possession and change of tempo alternate. This attractive style has brought results in every club that he has managed. Furthermore, Fard is a very skillful tactician, leaving his opponent struggling to penetrate his well-organised defence. Uh, and then he goes on to say, Favre is also well-known uh, to be stubborn and slightly eccentric. Examples of this include alienation of Luke de Jong, Glad Black's record signing at the time because the player was purchased without his approval and did not fit his playing style. I, I can't imagine what an alienated <laughs> record signing would be like. But I think I think the thing that to, to, to take with Lucien Favre is here are some of the names that he has developed right. over the times. Okay. Yeah? Marco Royce. Nice. Uh, Gork and Inla. Good. Not as nice. <laughs> Mark Hunter-Stegen. Yeah. Uh, Christoph Kramer, if you, he was German. Joel Kramer, yeah. And the, the one that I like the most, it, this is what it says. Examples of his ability to develop youngsters is widely sought after. Talented players, such as Granit Xhaka, who initially struggled when joining Gladbach, uh, thrived under Favre, becoming one of the best central midfielders in Germany. Doesn't that sound like an inconsistent midfielder who could do well for us if he just had the right manager? Ooh. To, to be honest, Chris, you've sold me on far very well. I didn't know too much about him, uh, but you've you've given you've me a good, good overview there. Uh, yeah, that wiki entry, bloody hell. God, imagine being attack-minded and also well-organised in defence. How, how great would that be? My mind can't oh. imagine that. That is too... Yeah, yeah. Can, can we get him? Can we get him now? <laughs> um, how, how much does he cost? <laughs> I've saved up my pocket money. He's at Nice, but is he leaving Nice? No, and this is the problem. Uh, he's, only been at nice, he's only been at Nice a season. Uh, and so you would imagine Nice finishing in the Champions League places, he would be probably more tempted to stay there. Damn it, Chris. I know, it's, it's upsetting. But you never know. The lure of the Premier League, the best league in the world, and all that money to build your own team... Again, he's a manager who likes to develop, and yeah. we need a new squad developing, please. Okay. Uh, ben, let's have your next name. My last name is a name that you've all heard of that's been talked about so much this season, David Wagner. Yes. Ah. Um, a lot of people sort of would be excited by this man, I believe. He's best mates with Klopp, so I'm sure he's a fantastic character. And He is. Um, he he would bring sort of a maybe a, a sort of a new attention on Stoke City that we haven't really had since losing Pulis. I'd argue really, um, people would want to watch us because of Wagner, maybe because he's that type of guy, that sort of Klopp character. Um, he's played eight games for the United States. Oh, there's hey. a fact. Um, he took <laughs> he took his Huddersfield. Isn't he German? He is. Yeah, but he's played eight. He's games played eight games for the United States. Nice. 
Cool. He, he played for the German under-21 setup and then played for the United States. Did look into why, so don't ask me why. <laughs> okay. um, he, he obviously manages Huddersfield Town, which, I mean, Chris probably knows more than about than Huddersfield about um, than I do. But I don't think they were particularly pushing for promotion no. before he came, and now they very much are. He apparently took the lads on a survival tour in Sweden um, before the season started. Um, oh, God. So they they sort of chucked him to somewhere right. random in Sweden. It's getting to... a bit poor, Joseph. What? Can, can I, this, this is very like... I, can I just imagine Charlie Adam in... Right, you've got Bear Grylls-style survival, Charlie. Well, yeah. <laughs> that apparently brought the squad together, and, and we kind of probably need that, it seems, mm. from the outside, that there are those sort of little clicks... Um, who would have thought? But yeah, he it, it, it seems like he's sort of big on the the squad getting on, which would be nice, obviously. And then they started playing nice football at the start of the season. I think they were top at some point. Um, and yeah, I mean, imagine if Stoke would finish top. I think also a, a big point for David Wagner that I'll bring up is that that sort of German football, that um, pressing style, I think Stoke fans would love it. I mean, I would love it. And I think yeah. just the way like... If it, it's, we played a pressing game pretty well in the first half yesterday, we sort of we did it against Liverpool. But if we had that every weekend, I think people would absolutely love it. That fast attacking, constantly hungry for the ball is exactly what the Bet Three Six Five Stadium I think mm. would love. Um, but yeah, he is again maybe a bit unproven. He's managed Borussia Dortmund's second team, I believe, yeah. um, and then came to Huddersfield Town. Another bad point is that I think he rejected a move back to Germany um, I can't remember who wanted him was it Werder Bremen or someone it was like Wolfsburg. that Wolfsburg knew it was a W um, so would he come to Stoke and sort of finish that Huddersfield Town project maybe not did pick up Football League Championship Manager of the Year I really hate that they give out those awards before the end of the yeah. season um, but yeah it's certainly exciting and if it was, would happen I, th- I don't think many people could complain because is that just, it just brings that sort yeah. of you don't know what's going to happen definitely a very ex- exciting appointment mm-hmm. uh, doing do, doing really really well at Huddersfield obviously there's the doubts over does he have enough experience and all that but uh, yeah I agree that his style of football is one we, we'd all certainly love to see uh, so I'm saying that's a tentative yes yeah um, another name that not many people would have would have sort of brought up yet that I can just quickly mention now mm. is the I mean the, the Dortmund second team their <laughs> coaches have all, constantly for the last yes. few years been taken so let's just go directly there get Daniel <laughs> Fark <laughs> just for the name you heard it here first um, uh, yeah my final name then is uh, very much familiar to all of you guys it's Roberto Mancini can you imagine him in his suit and his this time red and white, oh. Stoke scarf on the touchline. Obviously, uh, you're pretty much familiar with his career. He's managed Fiorentina, Lazio, Internazionale, Man City, of course, then Galatasaray, and before going back to Inter for another spell. Currently without a club. That's pretty oh. good, isn't it? Um, I think that's pretty much the first manager that we've mentioned that doesn't have a job at the moment. Yeah. Uh, is, is, is an FA Cup winner, a league winner, as well as doing several bits in Italy, has won the World Cup as a player. He's He's got instant charisma, uh, name recognition. I think he's worked with Arnie before at Inter, I want to say. Um, mm, so, no, was, maybe not. I think that was Jose. I think that was Jose. He worked, he worked with Shakiri though, and he didn't yes. get on with him. Uh, oh, interesting. Just to throw a spanner into the works. Damn. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, but, but back to my original point. Uh, 
certainly uh, you can see him commanding the respect of sort of our bigger names because he's managed big names before, particularly at Man City, where um, I think I think he did well at Man City. Uh, oh. Like obviously he had a very well resourced squad and uh, won them two trophies uh, for the first time ever. Uh, won them the Premier League for the first time ever, and uh, got them playing some good stuff. Uh, just this on his management style. Mancini places great emphasis on building from the back, stressing the importance of not conceding a goal. It means the team will always have an opportunity to win, going as far to say, I like 1-0 wins. When you don't concede a goal and you have players like Dzeko, Tevez and Silva, you win 90% of them. I prefer that we are boring for two to three matches and we win 1-0. If you watch teams that won titles, they concede very few goals. Is he, oh. is he, is he not exciting enough? Are we t- are we going to turn our nose up about uh, at Roberto Mancini? You can't turn your nose up at a name like Roberto Mancini, can you? Like you can't like as much as that makes me cringe hearing him say he prefers one nil wins. Like he's a he's bloody world famous, isn't he? Like he, he. But are we are we not just blinded by the big name? Who... I'm blinded by the big name, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> just admit it. Yeah. yeah. I think a, a good point for Roberto Mancini is you sort of mentioned it there that that connection that he has with the fans. I think Man City fans were hugely mm, yeah. like they loved him, and he. I think when he left the club, or was he sacked, or did he leave? I, can't I think remember, he was sacked. Yeah, he was he, they lost. Was sacked. They, they lost the FA Cup to Wigan, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So then he bought. Um, I think he bought a page of the MEN yeah. and yeah. sort of wrote down that apology letter, or like the goodbye yeah, yeah, letter, yeah. not apology letter. Um, can you imagine if Mark Hughes did that? I don't. I can't imagine sort of that that, that connection just isn't there yeah. at the moment, and mm. I think that 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 excites me as well. Is Mancini? I know he's without a club, but is he like AVB? Is, is he, he above us? Is he above us? It dep- I mean, it, right. dep- it depends on the job that the. If you look at the teams he's managed, Fiorentina, Lazio, Inter, Man City, Galatasaray, they're all Champions League yeah. famous clubs. You yes. know, they're, they're they're kind of elite level, but I suppose. I suppose he's. It might be a case of we might not get him, but he's worth a go, you know. Because yeah. um, well, we were in for Rafa, weren't we? No. Yeah, that was by all accounts close. Uh, yeah, exactly. So yeah, certainly the approach to getting a new manager in w- wouldn't be, oh, let let's get someone we can realistically get. You you start a bit above where you think yeah, you are and see if you can get that level yeah. of manager. Yeah, see if yeah, you yeah. can tempt them with pr- the promise of building a project, the promise of transfer funds to spend. You know, we've got good players. As well, you know. In terms of facilities, we've we're we're right, right up yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Think. Of course, of course. So yeah, we we shouldn't definitely do ourselves down in terms of uh, approaching uh, someone of his caliber. Um, I I w- I would be very very excited by yeah. Roberto Mancini, despite his uh, his the criticism that might be a bit negative. I I I don't think I'd mind it too much for. For what he would bring, but his size played good football we, as well as being strong at the we back. Would, as well, you know, it's not like he's Pulis. No, we would get better as well. Like I think Mancini would make that team better. Mm. Okay, so are we say are we saying yes to Mancini? Yeah, it's a, yes, I would say it's a it yes from me. It'd be a definite okay. yes. Okay, right. Um, before we move on, then uh, good chat, guys. Yeah, good good names there thrown around. <laughs> uh, but we're going to just quick fire some other names that uh, okay. we, we asked uh, our listeners to throw out there. So I'm just going to have yes or no from you. Uh, Chris, yes or no? Patrick Vieira. Uh, yes. Ooh, okay. Uh, Marcelino, Ben. Yes. Chris, Marcello Bielsa. <laughs> yes. 
You'd stay around all of five minutes, but yeah, five would, minutes. Yeah, it would be anarchy. Ben, Gary Monk. Yes, I mentioned him earlier. Okay. Chris, Roberto Martinez. It's a no. Good. Unfortunately. Good, Good answer. Uh, ben, we, we said we've got Brendan Rogers written down here, but uh, we'll say Alan Pardew. <laughs> do I have to say? Do I have to say no, that? Answer? Think of the dance on the sidelines. Oh God! <laughs> I'm gonna have to walk out. Take five minutes. No, no. Uh, um, Chris Roy Hodgson. I'm gonna say no. Yeah, Paul Roy. And finally, Ben Tony Pulis. Mm. <laughs> really? Mm. Oh, are we debating this? No, please. No, that's a no. Thank you okay. for your time. We'll move on from that, but the important thing to stress is that Mark Hughes is still in a job. <laughs> we might have to release this episode again next summer, but um, yeah. I, like, Okay, we've just spent a good spe- uh, period of time debating potential Hughes replacements, but the important thing is like, we are, we still want him to do well, yes. you know, but we ju- we're just uh, answering the question that has been asked so often. If, if Hughes goes, this, you put a big asterisk next to this whole conversation. <laughs> This is if Hughes goes. Uh, these are names that we're talking about. Uh, mm. So yeah, so some good names, some uh, interesting names. Mark Sampson being one of them. Um, Dave, why are you asking the listeners for money again? Well, Chris, it's because the Wizards of Drivel are now on Patreon. Patreon is a platform that allows people to support their favourite creators by pledging a small amount of money per month. So, a listener's going to have to pay for the podcast, because to be honest, I don't think people want to buy a weekly moan at Mark Hughes. No, Ben, the usual weekly podcast will always be free to everyone who wants to listen. This is just for people who can afford to support the podcast in order to help us keep going next season. Ben, Ben, I'm not sure I think I can trust Dave with a large transfer budget to rebuild this podcast. I think we should go and look for a presenter abroad with some new ideas. Steady on, Chris. All money pledged to us will be 100% reinvested back into the podcast. From playing off SoundCloud subscriptions, website fees and funding improvements to the overall quality of the pod. From microphones to interviews. Yeah, but if you're a supporter of us on Patreon, what do you get out of it? Well, aside from the warm glow you get from helping out an independent podcast about Stoke City, patrons will get extra stuff just for them. If you pledge $1 a month, which is mere pennies at least for the moment, you'll get back a bunch of exclusive content. Videos, blogs, mini-podcasts, that kind of thing. And if you pledge $3 a month, you'll get two extra Wizards of Drivel podcasts monthly. How does a listener become a patron then, Dave? They go to www.patreon.com forward slash Wizards of Drivel. And if they can and want to, can select the rewards that suit them. It's entirely voluntary. And if you don't have the spare cash or just don't want to, we won't think any the less of you. And of course, we're happy to talk through any questions you might have about this via email or social media. Let's move on. Let's go back to Stoke, shall we? Uh, We've got an email here from Ben Rowley, uh, sometimes of this pod. Thank you very much, Ben. He says, hi, guys. I've made it clear before that I've kept the faith with Hughes. This has been due to the success and brand of football he's been able to bring us in the past. The fact that I think we've been genuinely unlucky with injuries, pivotal moments in matches, etc. But also the fact that I genuinely don't know who do a better job. Hopefully we've answered that, Ben. However, since the awful performances at Leicester Leicester and Burnley, I've lost that faith. This doesn't necessarily mean I want him gone but I certainly don't agree with what his ideology is at the moment. But it seems odd, losing faith after losing away to both the revived champions and a team with one of the best home records in the division. 
It's never been about the result with me. Unless we're threatened with true relegation trouble, then I'm content. The performances over the last two games have stunk of a manager who has let his long-term game plan slip away. The attractive football is well and truly gone. I was bored stiff during both games. The football was totally ineffective, especially considering the type of opposition we were facing. The team selections have proved that he does not place enough trust in some of the players that he signed. If we do have an overhaul this summer, we'll have lost so much of what we've classed as a success. The change of stance has only just happened because Mark Hughes is running out of excuses, yet the problems persist. Obviously, there could be issues behind the scenes that's causing all of these issues, but I truly hope that Peter Coates is expecting an explanation from the manager at the end of the season because, from the outside looking in, the situation looks familiar to many clubs who have who have since lost the way and in some cases fallen to the Championship, even with world-class players. I want Mark Hughes to succeed, and there's proof that he's done it before too, but you just wonder if he's tearing up his own work of art. My question to you guys is what do you think Hughes will try to do during next summer as well as heading into next season? That's a hell of a question. Thank you very much, Ben. Um, Chris, what is Hughes' plan for this summer, do you think? I, I think his plan, first and foremost, is to remove those players who he sees as not working out. Bojan... Mm. In Bula. I'm not so sure about Shakiri. I think Shakiri still has a place. And I think yesterday kind of proved it. Um, it's just a matter of fitness for him. And, and people like Volscheid as well, who you forget are like, still around. And Hosselu. And Hosselu. And then it will be a case Mark Hughes will try and replace those players. Yeah. I would like to think if he stayed, he would attempt to replace those players and drop the average age of the squad, bring in players who you would hope would replace the the so-called old guard. I mean, we've said this for probably two years, that Glenn Whelan, you hope that there's a someone comes in as a replacement. That's what I hope he does. I hope that he... If he stays, I hope that he sorts the team out. If he has to get rid of the likes of Imbula and Bojan and that, which it will be heartbreaking but there is Stoke City will still remain then at least replace them with players who will take this team forward okay uh Ben um what 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 can you foresee happening this summer first of all do you, do you think right now that Coates will get rid of Hughes in the summer I think at this present time I don't think he will I don't think it's got that bad yet, I, it, but it could do because we've got a lot of important games coming up against mm. teams that we should beat. And if it doesn't go well against those, um, i.e. getting at least six points out of the next three games, at least, then I think there'll be conversations had. And, and as a lot of people have said online, it, it depends on on sort of season ticket renewals and things like that. I think that's very much part of um, Coates' mindset and in his thinking, um, for if Hughes will continue as our manager. Um, I, mean, I mean, yesterday was the first time that Hughes has actually acknowledged that we're kind of in a bit of a relegation fight. We're, we're not safe, mm. um, which, again, you would kind of hope that he looks at that and is like, guys, mm. we need to we'll focus on the result. Um, which surely, if he's acknowledging that, that suggests that 
there's a little bit of pressure. You would, but I think if Hughes stays on as manager, then he needs to work really, really hard at making sure we don't have a really bad start to the season yeah. again. Because yeah. it's happened twice but in a row that, now. But that's the thing. Uh, we we kind of expect poor starts to the season from Hughes. So if we stick by him and that happens again, uh-huh. people will be like, yeah. "Oh, we should get rid." But then we've lost the opportune moment to get rid. You mm-hmm. know, it's. But we forgave him for that poor start because we expected it to kick on in the second yeah, half of the season, has which has never happened. No, no. It's not, we've not started this season, it feels like. No. Um, let's, let's move on to, to uh, more positive uh, matters. Um, question from SESU Jace. He wants to know, what would our ideal pre-season destination be for hashtag Wizards on Tour? Ben. Right. Right, I've, where should I've, we go? I haven't put any thought into this. Good. So it's just off the cuff. So, so let's see where it goes. Let's go to China and find AVB <laughs> and bring him all the way back to Stoke. Bring, bring him home. <laughs> Lads on tour with AVB. Uh, on a similar note, I would go to Mainz and, <laughs> and bring bring our boy back. That's, oh, <laughs> you, you've you've made it funny. Um, <laughs> I would like us to do a pre-season tour of mm. Spain yes. where we base it around staying in, in Catalan and Mark Hughes can maybe see some like some spiritual people and refine that inspiration. Yeah. It, that could, he... it could be like a homecoming journey for Hughes, of course. Mm. Like, yeah. On Barcelona, man. Make yeah. a spiritual journey to the, yeah. the shrine of Beaujean. <laughs> Maybe for... go to La Masia and like learn about how sometimes you can have young players who can play for the yeah. first team. Fa- know, failing, ideas like that. failing that, I'll just have the players run up some hills in Austria. <laughs> <laughs> shall, shall we? Shall we take some recording equipment to Austria this summer yeah. and just it, like the hope? <laughs> Berahino just come up a hill, absolutely knackered. Sido, can we talk to you for five minutes? Sido, 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 what's that in your drink? <laughs> um, before we move on to our listener question, shall we talk about oatcake thread of the week? Uh, it's, a, it's a long-running feature, and bloody hell, it's a good one this week. How many pages have you got of the oatcake? All right, I've, pr- know, I've printed print, out, Dave. It's ten pages printed out, but I think this is only like the first page or so of the actual thread <laughs> on the oatcake message board. Um, this was uh, submitted by a user called Warrington. <laughs> Warrington uh, is posted a thread called, What the hell has our support become? A very strong title there. Uh, nine likes on this post. Nine likes. Um, and the thread is just a link to um, an article in Mirror Football, just mentioned in a minute. Uh, Warrington has tagged it with, it's truly pathetic. And the article he's attached is as follows. Stoke fans launch campaign to get Mark Hughes to start Belgium under-21 starlet Julian and Goy. The Deploying Goy campaign has been launched by Stoke podcast Wizards of Drivel, who want to see the youngster tried out. Uh, yeah, so just talking about the article in itself for a sec, uh, we had some drama on Friday uh, when we saw this go up. Um, first of all, it, it's weird timing of it because the Deploying Goy uh, campaign has been around for a while. But when this article initially went up, this article by John Cross, by the way, who's like <laughs> the head of football at the Mirror or something, <laughs> It initially said launched by Stoke fanzine Stoke Loud and Proud. So obviously we all kicked off. Um, it, it was absolute bloody disgrace what what went on. We finally managed to get the uh, get credit for for this 
totally serious and, you know, <laughs> well thought out campaign. So, yeah, but Warrington doesn't like it. Warrington doesn't like deploying Goy. Yeah, he said it's truly pathetic. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, nine, nine people agree that, um, yeah, it's just pathetic. What's uh, this deploying Goy thing? I haven't heard about that. Oh, <laughs> oh it's, basically, it's basically a totally serious campaign to get Hughes to play in Goy at the expense of the team. And we're going to protest viciously outside his house. Yeah. Um, they should release some stickers or something. Uh, yeah. Uh, right. Right. Here's a here's a, another another post. Uh, problem is, Weser fans have had enough, mate. Just like yourself under the previous regime, we're at a point now of no return for a lot of supporters, in my opinion. To which uh, Warrington replied, "Hang on. I like I like that Warrington, which is." I'm assuming a nickname has been shortened to Weather. Weather. That's good. Yeah. A nickname of a nickname. A nickname of a nickname. Enough said. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing now. Uh, uh, Warrington says, having opinion on the manager and campaigning for his dismissal is part of football mots and it's always been that way. And if people are against you, then that day could welcome. Did, did he just read the word campaign in, Cam- the, like, in the start of the of the article and think... Well, 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 he said that campaigning for a player to start is a different thing altogether. La- yeah, it's a different I, thing. I, I th- so it's a bloody <laughs> rhyme. <laughs> no, I, th- I think we should hold our hands up and apologise uh, for disgracing Stoke fans in this yeah. way. I think I think we've we've truly shamed the name of the club. Ben, here. Ben, you know that plane that we had to go over the <laughs> like, yeah. with the batter. So I can't. Can, so can't I can't say that. Please, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, Premier shit, Mister Daftberger. <laughs> Has replied. Uh, he replies with a um, drivel noun one nonsense verb one talk nonsense. Oh shit! It... Oh god! I, th- I thought that, I thought it was Stanley Matthews' nickname. Oh Jesus! Oh. Right, cut it. Fifty episodes in, and that's it. Yeah. Oh god, we've we've been called the podcast something stupid for fifty episodes. No one told us. <laughs> Bloody hell. Well, thanks, Mr. Daftberger, for that. Where was he when we started? I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to cut, we're gonna have to cut yeah. this section out. <laughs> um, oh. To be fair, none of them will listen. Mm. And they won't get past the oh, beginning. Where one one, one of them might listen. S. Berahino 9 says, from the Twitter generation. Hilarious. That's us, lads. We do use Twitter. Twitter yeah. generation. Oh, but uh, Shake Momo has come in with. Um, I think this could well be a thing for all the young lads. Uh, don't be a meanie. Pick Ryan Sweeney. Oh, he's got involved. That's yes. real. That's it. That's what we want. We want more totally legitimate what's campaigns. It, what's, like it, what's this user's name? Shake Momo. Shake Momo. Well, I don't uh, think Wera's going to like. Think of the <laughs> think of the future. Pick Harry Souter. <laughs> I like that. Where is this person, and why, don't, why isn't he in the studio right now on our podcast? Yeah. Uh, won't someone think of the children and pick Tebow for Linden? <laughs> Not quite as good. <laughs> uh, and uh, use a full of magic. Uh, thought of the hashtag Greenage Meantime. Oh, I, like Greenage. I was a big, so, big yeah. fan of that one. So yeah, the oatcake there, uh, taking deploying Goy at face value. Uh, this from the same place where Carlo Nash was in TK Maxx. It's yeah, kind of like, but it's a. This was a very meta section of the show, and you know we don't want to talk about ourselves too much. But bloody hell, <laughs> like can you just did you did you did they really think that this was a a proper campaign? 
well, it says it's a campaign in the mirror. Well, though. yeah, if John Cross has written it in the mirror, then, you know, it must be, you know, totally serious. Because campaign I'm... only means serious things. I'm imagining the guy that said about um, the meaning of drivel sitting there after commenting <laughs> just that like... in just like a certain level of smugness. Like, thinking, oh, <laughs> like, yep. like, like a Pepe meme. Or something <laughs> like. Um just on John Cross, by the way, we got a bit of a snitty email during the week from John Cross. I think uh, I think that's allowed. Um, uh, it just reminded me of something Neil Warnock said about John Cross when they were on a radio show together. Uh, and he just put him down in the most kind of patronising but also quite nice way. Warnock went, the thing about John, our John, is... <laughs> He, he knows a lot about Arsenal, and we like listening to John about Arsenal. He's very knowledgeable about Arsenal. But when it comes to the other clubs, uh, I'm less sure. <laughs> <laughs> what I like that was about, a fantastic accent, by the way. Yeah, what I liked about your Neil Warnock is he also is your Brian Clough. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I, don't, I was unaware I did a Brian yeah, Clough. Yeah, I think they're very similar. Our listener question this week is, in honour of our 50th episode... Uh, what Stoke thing went on longer than it should have done? <laughs> this episode this might, be an, might be an example. Um, Tom Thrower says Kitson being our record signing. Uh, Jamie Chatfield quite rightfully says the Ramsey saga. Uh, Jace says the, the Charlie guarantees goals argument uh, with Charlie having one non-penalty goal in the last two seasons. And the be grateful we're in the Premier League argument as well. Uh, lads, what Stoke-related thing do you think has gone on for too long? Uh, can they do it on a cold, wet Tuesday night in Stoke? Nice. Bojan in Mainz. <laughs> uh, I think something that went on too long was Abdullah Fai on the uh, Britannia Stadium, just up there, way after he'd, he'd left the club. It just looked a bit silly, didn't it? <laughs> OK. Um, we'll just talk about Hull then before we go. It's suddenly become an important game, hasn't it? Yeah, really important. Yeah. I, who th- I didn't think we'd be in this position where no. we... It's nice, isn't it? It's nice to have a throwback to when we were worried about relegation and stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a must, we must win it. At the moment, I don't like. I don't. I think relegation is sort of. It's sort of right at the back of my mind. I'm not. I don't think yeah. we're going to get relegated. But if we lose that whole game, that's when I'm actually yeah. genuinely going to get nervous and start thinking, yeah. God, it could. Like there's always sometimes there's like that team that's like you just don't expect it to drop out and you just don't want it to be Stoke at all. And if we lose against Hull, well, God. Would we uh, go with the same team? Would we go four four two? I see no reason not to go with the same starting eleven. But if Allen isn't playing, then that would sort of change a lot of things. I think he's quite important to it, as I said earlier. So mm-hmm. it depends on on how badly damaged he is now. Okay, uh, I think that's it from the fiftieth episode of the Wizards of Drivel. Thank you very much for sticking with us. Um, yeah, here's the next fifty. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Dave. As always, uh, it's uh, been a pleasure. The last fifty episodes, um, been a lot of fun. Uh, one day soon, hopefully, we'll be able to talk about a Stoke win. But uh, for the moment, it's uh, onwards and upwards. Go on, Stoke.